This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. It's springtime, the season when we celebrate Easter, Passover, a time of rebirth. The sun is shining, weather's getting warmer, and Mother Nature shows her face with beautiful blossoms. In recent years, we've learned about a condition known as seasonal affective disorder, suggesting that the shorter days with less sunlight actually contribute to mood disorders like anxiety and depression. So we welcome the sunshine of spring, and that's why the symbols are baby bunnies and chicks, a time of new life, a time of hope. Nothing says hope and the promise for a better tomorrow than the anticipation of a new baby. I can remember when my husband and I learned that we were expecting our first baby, I was so excited I didn't notice any symptoms. I was so excited I wasn't even thinking about the pain of childbirth or any problems that might come with it. I took my daily vitamins, happily avoided caffeine and alcohol, and went for regular checkups. I prayed every day for the safe delivery of a healthy baby and to help me imitate the example of my own dear mother. Well, my prayers were answered three times, and the bonus... Now that they're grown, they seem to like me. But on some occasions, a baby arrives early or has a low birth weight and may be diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Our guest today is a very special man. His life vocation is caring for children with cerebral palsy. He answered the call to become a physician, a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, but he's even more deeply invested because cerebral palsy has become a factor in his personal life. Dr. Michael Wade Schrader, the Freeman Miller Endowed Chair, Division Chief and Director of the Center for Cerebral Palsy at the Nemours AI DuPont Hospital for Children, one of the best centers of its kind in the world. Dr. Schrader has earned extensive recognition and countless awards for his research and lecturing, and now you'll understand why. Wade, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marianne. So glad to be here. Wade, you have written beautiful words about your love of caring for children How have you combined your background in engineering with orthopedics to help children with cerebral palsy? Yeah, I, um, as you mentioned, I was an engineer before I went to medical school. 
uh, kind of dreamed of working for NASA and got that dream where I was able to do that in the early 90s. Um, and then felt the call for a variety of reasons to, to leave NASA and then go to medical school. Um, but I never wanted to give up that engineering. I was very proud of my engineering background. I think it's a great, uh, very broad-based education for teaching you know, young people problem-solving and, and how to approach different, con- different difficult concepts. So I think engineering is a great background for anybody going into medicine. Medicine is rarely right out of the textbook. It's exact, very rarely what you read about because there are people involved, right? People in different families, different backgrounds, different situations. So the engineering background, I think, in general is great. For orthopedics in particularly, there's a lot of biomechanics in that. There's a lot of structural engineering. And so it was, um, it was, it was an interest of mine when I started medical school. And then once I, once I realized how much mechanical aspects of, of orthopedics, it was, it was really kind of what won me over. And in particular, in, in kids with CP, we, we deal with so many issues. The primary issue is really neurological. As you mentioned, kids that are born really early or born with different types of infections around the times they're born or even congenital brain issues or genetic issues cause this neurological disability. But when a child has that neurological disability on a growing skeleton, they end up getting some what we call deformities or impairments of their musculoskeletal system. And uh, because of that, uh, the orthopedic surgeon is often called on to try to to take care of those things and make them straighter and make them better aligned. And so there's a lot of mechanical background in that. So Wade, take us back almost 26 years ago, you and your wife, Carol, were anticipating the birth of not one, not two, <laughs> but three babies, uh, triple gift. Yeah, and um, that's right. your personal experience took you to a, a deeper level of commitment. How, how did that come about? Yeah, so my wife had multiples on both sides of her family, so we weren't at all surprised when we, we, I was in medical school and she was in graduate school, so we started thinking about starting our family. So we weren't surprised when we heard that there might be twins. We were a little surprised when we heard that there was three. Um, and so we knew there was a big risk for premature labor, and of course, she did start having premature labor very early on at like 19 weeks. Uh, and so we weren't at all sure. We were oh. filled with lots of um, dread and worry. She was hospitalized at about 21 weeks um, and was put on bed rest for all that time. And so she spent about nine weeks in the hospital. They were born, they were born about 28 and a half weeks um, after she started having some hemorrhaging. So, of course, we were afraid for her life. We were afraid for their lives. It was a big spectacle. Triplets being born are always a big deal. So we had a huge team in the the operating room when they were born. And and we were really, really pleased early on. Um, They were small, but doing pretty well uh, for really early uh, premature infants. But, um, you know, and actually all three of them came home from the NICU at different times. And so that certainly was a terrifying experience, even through med school and residency. And even now, if I get called for a consult in the NICU, it's, it's like this wave of emotions that kind of hits me when I walk in the, walk in the door. But oh, we, sure. we were sent home with really some reassurances. They thought the kids were doing pretty well. They had some minor little medical hiccups in the NICU. Um, but it wasn't until later uh, when we started seeing the boys having some um, two boys and a girls or what the triplets were 
um, we st- the boys both started having some significant, obvious developmental delays. And, and so we knew, we knew early on that that was probably a diagnosis of CP. So, And how long were they, when we say NICU, neurologic ICU, the neuro ICU, what kind of um, metrics do they follow in new premature babies like that? Do they, how do they test their hearing or vision? Do they do that that early or a little bit later? Yeah, they do all that stuff. I mean, they do all that like they do in any other newborn nursery. Um, you know, they struggle to breathe at first, so they give them some medicine to try to make them breathe a little Aww. bit better. Sometimes they need a little bit extra, you know, help with breathing. Uh, they actually scan their heads looking for brain bleeds. That's what is one of the halt out, the, 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 the really primary signs of CP early on is when you might have a little bit of a hemorrhage. Uh, so they do some head ultrasounds and sometimes they'll do some MRIs and things like that. Um, everything kind of shifts based on their, to their wow. corrected age or, or, you know, what their, what their age would have been. Uh, so instead of when they were normally eight weeks old, they were really, you know, still minus three weeks old or so. So they try to, you 36, know, they shift. Yeah. Something yeah, like right, that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they try to shift a little bit of some of those developmental milestones. Uh, most, um, Neonatal intensive care units will have really, really formal follow-up clinics so that they're checking these kids and seeing how they're doing from a development perspective to try to diagnose any kind of developmental delay as early as possible. Uh, That's really, really important. Early diagnosis and early treatment is really, really critical for the treatment of, of infants with CP because there's still this idea that your brain can evolve in in this neuroplasticity, which is what we call it. So that if you do a lot of intensive training, a lot of intensive therapy early on, you might be able to minimize some of the effects of that disability. So early intervention, Mm -hmm. physical therapy is is critical uh, for these kids. And um, so that's all part of that NICU follow-up process. Mm -hmm. So you learn the diagnosis and I've watched a beautiful video that you and your wife, Carol, made. Um, and she said it was those early years that were so hard because you don't know what to expect, um, not knowing what potential these beautiful little boys would have. Tell us about those early days when you, what you were thinking. Yeah, it, it was, it's this combination of, of grief and worry and um, you know, obviously nurturing, you want to give them every opportunity to do the best they can in whatever trajectory life they have. Um, but you can't help but be a little sad that, and, and, you know, a little depressed and a little disappointed that your life trajectory is not quite what you dreamed of. You mentioned that those hopes and dreams that we all have for all of Mm -hmm. our children, uh, to go through life and to do the best and have the best possible life we can. And, you know, instead you're spending lots of time in the doctor's office and in physical therapy, trying to, to, to focus on little gains. It's amazing. Um, you know, what some of those small little gains that happen in the families of children with disabilities that, that a lot of us probably take for granted. Um, but, uh, nevertheless, those victories are certainly celebrated in all of those households. And it's, um, you know, it's great to be, to have a great support system. It's great to be around a healthcare environment that values all people and values all children of different abilities. And, um, 
to try to work to, to help maximize their quality of life and their potential. And so uh, that's that's the best advice is try to find yourself really early on. It's a lot of the physical therapists, the occupational therapists, the speech therapists. Try to surround yourself with some people that have a tender heart and really have that mission to try to help those those children and those families. Well, Wade, you, you speak so beautifully. I We had a, a lengthy conversation last week to discuss what um, what we wanted to emphasize in the show today. And I got off the phone and I thought, gee whiz, I wish he were my next door neighbor. I got off after an absolutely beautiful conversation with the way you talk about life and you were a medical student. And we all know, even I wasn't married in medical school, I didn't have children. Medical school in itself is a tough hill to climb. And then you have three beautiful little babies and with extra challenges. And uh, is that what led you into orthopedics and and you went from there, I guess, yes? Yeah. So, I, I mean, as I mentioned before, I was kind of drawn to orthopedics. It was a lot of engineering. Uh, I actually anyway, thought I'd yeah. probably, yeah, I, I actually right. thought I would, I would do hip and knee replacements was really what I thought. And uh, so, you know, and you're right, mm -hmm. you, you, you don't always have time in medical school in that first year or two of residency to really reflect a lot on your career path and maybe really your, your, your purpose in life. But I, my second year of residency in orthopedics, I trained at the Mayo Clinic. I was on, I was on a pediatric rotation and we took care of this little girl with CP who had this really complex surgery. And, and I just fell in love with it. I love the surgery, but more importantly, I really loved being able to interact with her family. I was able to connect with them in a way that really, I had great professors and great attendings. They weren't really able to connect in that same way. I was able to ask, answer a lot of their questions and it kind of clicked in. I was like, this is what I'm meant to do in life is really try yes. to help other families like ours. It's the vocation. It's your calling. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Wade Schrader. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. We're back on your radio doctor with Dr. Wade Schrader from Nemours, the chief and director of the cerebral palsy clinic there. Wade, 
when a little baby is developing, of course, you go to the pediatrician and we, our metrics are the milestones. Is the baby um, starting to crawl, sitting up without assistance, holding his or her head up? What are the findings that you look for or what would alert a parent to thinking their child might not be developing properly and have cerebral palsy? Yeah, I, yeah, Marianne, exactly what you said is the, the fact of children not following along the expected motor development milestones. So we expect babies to be able to sit up at a certain amount of time. We expect babies to crawl and then pull to a stand and then ultimately be able to walk independently. If children aren't making those milestones mm-hmm. in that appropriate way, that's a warning sign. And that along with their birth history, if they had any problems with their birth, if they were early, if there was any problems with um, the prenatal health of the mom, all of those things would be um, warning signs that that could lead to a diagnosis of CP. And what CP is really, it's an umbrella term. Uh, It's not very specific. Uh, The modern definition today is a neurological disability that happens from some type of problem with the nervous system in the brain around the time of birth that results in a motor disability that leads to trouble with muscle control, coordination, and balance. So there's a lot of things that can go into that. Mm -hmm. Typically, kids that had lack of oxygen during birth, they might get that. Premature children today, we're saving a lot of these really early babies. But as I mentioned before, they're at a little bit increased risk for those bleeds. Mm -hmm. Other infections can cause it. Other types of uh, genetic issues can even call a CP-like condition Mm -hmm. um, that end up kind of coming in to see us uh, in in our area. So I want to go back to something important that you mentioned. Uh, Many years ago, as medical students... I I took away the message that if there if the delivery were difficult or the baby um, is held up in the birth canal and the baby happens to aspirate something that causes lack of oxygen might cause brain damage. But as you say, we've become so advanced at saving babies at an earlier point in development. So I guess the question is, if you have any suspicion, um, uh, how common is cerebral palsy? Is that something we can yeah. diagnose prior to delivery? But, but why would we? I don't know why I'd ask that question. Yeah, no. I mean, there are some things. I mean, if, you, if you're being followed, uh, first of all, how common is it? Uh, in the United States, it's about two to three mm-hmm. per 1,000 live births. So it's actually relatively common. It's the mm-hmm. most common, chi- yeah, most common yeah. childhood motor disability there is. So when you look at, you know, the number, it's estimated, Mm -hmm. if you look at the total number of people with CP in the United States, including adults, it's estimated to be about a million. So about the population of Delaware or the population of Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's, it's actually a relatively common disability. And so most people probably know somebody with CP or someone with CP in their family. So uh, you can diagnose it prenatally. Um, for instance, if someone has an intrauterine stroke or if there's a congenital brain issue, those things that could lead to a diagnosis of CP, those, sometimes those things can, can be found uh, prenatally with a, with a high definition ultrasound. But the vast majority of them are diagnosed after the fact and uh, really after we get the clinical symptoms that there's those developmental delays that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, these little children will have limited function in their physical uh, motions, but are there other limitations that some, not all, but some of the children, anybody, any of the children have intellectual 
uh, challenges? I know you said some have seizures, some have chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of uh, other medical conditions that are associated with CP. Um, sometimes children will have some communication disabilities uh, from difficulty from speaking. Uh, sometimes children will have some intellectual disabilities as well. Um, the, the other medical issues such as problems with your breathing and problems with their GI system, for instance, in particular, those two things are really correlated with the level of disability. So, you know, a lot of times people associate CP with the child in the wheelchair, and certainly that is a more severe version of CP, and those kids are more likely to have those other medical issues, such as some lung disease, some restrictive lung disease and asthma, uh, some breathing problems with sleep apnea, and they also have a lot of problems with their GI system. But kids can kids can have CP mm-hmm. and can can walk and run without any without any assistance. That's the wide spectrum of what we have to have to help mm-hmm. different kids with. So when a family brings their kid in, obviously, you know their child is the most important thing on the planet to them, and we have to help them kind of each family individualize and kind of tailor what it is that we're trying to do to try to help maximize that child's individual potential. Sure. And so I've learned from listening to you too, Wade, that in large part, cerebral palsy is not preventable. Uh, We're going to advise mothers, uh, any woman who gets pregnant, to see go for your regular checkups. We want to avoid alcohol intake. We don't want mothers to smoke. Obesity may be a little bit of an associated factor. Trauma, wear your seatbelts. Marijuana. That's another, I don't know if that directly, but certainly you're not going to be used drugs. And, and we always tell expectant mothers before you take right. even something over the counter, check with your obstetrician. So when it comes time to make the diagnosis, are there certain steps that you take? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing is a really good neurological exam. So if we don't know exactly what's going on, pediatrician will will oftentimes, you know, be, be concerned. They may refer them to the orthopedic surgeon. They may refer them to a pediatric rehab doctor or a pediatric neurologist or a pediatric developmental pediatrician. So all of those things, those are different ways that they might can come into the CP healthcare world. But you're looking for abnormal. There's some abnormal neurological findings, but it's mostly done by history and um, and by, you know, general physical exam by, based on the developmental profile, because it still is somewhat of this umbrella term. Now, most of the time we will uh, still order an MRI to try to look for some of that specific brain damage that is that is most specifically correlated with cerebral palsy, specifically uh, some strokes or lack of oxygen or that prematurity. Sometimes we might refer them to genetics. If we have, if the child was born completely full term with no problems in the pregnancy and there's just this unexplained um unexplained developmental delay that looks like a CP type picture, we'll often refer them to genetics because nowadays we're finding more and more of these genetic, unique genetic syndromes that 20 years ago we would have just characterized as atypical cerebral palsy. Or that might include uh, signs, symptoms that look like CPS. Yeah. So sometimes there are some things that's important. So like in in particular, things like muscular dystrophies and things like that, that's really important because that trajectory might be. That was my big question. Yeah. Yeah. That might be, that would be very different. A child who's maybe walking on their toes or having some weakness in their legs, that might be, um, 
that might be confused with CP. And generally speaking, the, the, the thing about CP is that it doesn't get worse over time. The neurological disability doesn't get worse over time. Now, when we look at the orthopedic issues of this, as they're growing, then the effects of their neurological disability does change over time, the musculoskeletal manifestations, but the neurological part of it doesn't. And that's, that's very much different than, say, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, which does, of course, get worse over time. Yeah. And, the, and as you mentioned, too, genetics and family history, we stress probably every week, know your family history. Because now, you, now from what I'm reading, uh, genetics may account for up to one third of the cases. And um, you're going to check, uh, is there a family history of developmental or intellectual disabilities in the past that might give some clues to, you know, the child in front of you? Yeah, genetics is rapidly becoming a, a really fascinating part of our field. I was just on a big meeting today with one of the the NIH researchers in the field of CP and genetics, and and our 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 families at Nemours have done a great job volunteering for that study um, because even the kids that don't have specific genetic issues, even like my kids, for instance, their genetic predisposition might have contributed to the fact of why they responded to their prematurity in such a way. So there's all kinds of layers about genetics and CP that is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I guess when we talk about, can you um, do any testing while the babies are uh, still developing? Because we're, we're constantly trying as physicians, as fixers, is there anything we could do to prevent this from happening? And as yeah. you say, it's not preventable, but if somebody, if a mom is um, at risk for premature birth, there's mag sulfate. Um, if a baby's uh, born and, and with delivery aspirates, hypothermia of red baby, uh, does that help at all with neurodevelopment? Yeah, hy mm -hmm. hypothermia, cool caps, uh, part of uh, a type of cerebral palsy, uh, a CP-like condition is uh, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy or HIE. And so those are kids that actually don't necessarily have a brain bleed, but have just this overall diffuse encephalopathy because of some of that lack of oxygen. And so it's there's some research mm -hmm. to suggest that cooling those babies uh, can really decrease that inflammatory process and hopefully decrease some of the brain damage that occurs with that. And I was reading, and I'm sure, as you say, Wade, you can have a hundred people with appendicitis and they could all present differently. Uh, our bodies don't read right. textbooks with a premature infant. Uh, is there any value to delaying clamping the umbilical cord for 30 seconds? I was reading that that may reduce risk of hemorrhage in the brain for that little baby. Yeah. There, I mean, there are some, there's all kinds of different trials about that sort of thing. And I think in general, our obstetric care has become so advanced, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the, the, certainly a, a woman who's in preterm labor, they need to go to a high risk OB delivery center. That's going to do everything they can to delay that pre preterm birth, uh, even adding a few days, even adding, you know, uh, you know, up to a week or so, or in my wife's case, we were able to, to add eight weeks to her pregnancy based on that prenatal care, which, you know, Saved my children's lives. Absolutely. Isn't that one of the markers? 28 weeks for the surfactant mm -hmm, in the lungs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 21 weeks. Yep. That's exactly right. And so, um, so they gave, they gave my wife treatment to, to help the babies 
generate more surfactant so their lungs could breathe better, you know, when they, as soon as they were born. So there were all kinds of things that in the OB world that they do to, to not, maybe not prevent CP, but to try to minimize the severity of it as much as possible. And that's, that's the beauty of a center like Nemours, one of the best in the world. And we're just so fortunate to have you sharing this with us so people know that if their child has cerebral palsy, you want to take your child to a center of excellence. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Wade Schrader. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Amazing Grace. Lots of kids dream about what they'll be when they grow up. 10-year-old Mary Grace Schaefer has dreams too. They might just be a little harder to realize because Mary Grace has cerebral palsy. Her mother Sheila had a sudden complication during pregnancy and the baby came early at 32 weeks without a heartbeat. Sheila and her husband Kyle prayed and prayed, please let us keep her. After 45 days in neonatal intensive care, Mary Grace came home. Sheila and Kyle are both athletic trainers by profession and realize that brain injury can manifest in muscles and bones. Their knowledge was a blessing. In conversations with doctors, understanding what they read, it made them more committed. And for therapy, their hands-on skills were a big advantage. Their family also includes nine-year-old Claire, seven-year-old Ryan, and five-year-old Aaron. Friends ask, how did you have three more children? Sheila's reply, well, everything just takes a little longer. Mary Grace is up and out each morning by 7.40 on the school bus. The extra care she needs is all they've ever known, and it's part of their routine. For other established families who later have a child with CP, their worlds are turned upside down. Mary Grace attends the HMS school in West Philly. In 1882, the home of the merciful Savior was started by an Episcopalian minister and his wife to support children with disabilities who were considered hopeless cases. Once polio was eliminated by the vaccine in the 1950s, the focus switched to caring for children with cerebral palsy. Today, the school is one of the best of its kind in the world, attracting children from across the country. <clears throat> Mary Grace loves HMS, a very special place. Art and music are favorite classes, and she loves to send emails. Outdoor mobility class teaches kids to cross the street, use public transportation, and navigate the city. She works hard at speech, but it's difficult and exhausting. And when she's not engaged, people think that's all she has. Not so. She can still take in information while eliminating the fatigue of holding her head up. Sheila and Kyle love the staff. Each member fights for your child the same way you do. They know she's loved and all share the common goal to help Mary Grace become her best self. It's also beautiful to watch how the younger children take care of their big sister. They're a typical family. They fight with Mary Grace, they take her stuff, and she takes theirs. She's the sassiest kid in our family. Mary Grace comforts Sister Claire, her best friend. And when Mary Grace spent a month in the hospital after recent hip surgery, separation was just as hard for Claire. In fact, Mary Grace is excited about spending one night a week at overnight camp this summer, but her brother and sister say they'll miss her too much. Her vision is impaired, 
but she can drive her power chair. But the 500-pound vehicle has limited accessibility. They can't lift the chair, but without it, she loses her freedom. The chair is custom molded to fit her, so they can't rent one when they travel, and the chair can be damaged when stored in a plane. So vacation plans are limited. Sheila is on the Cerebral Palsy Advisory Board at Nemours Children's Hospital and says, we're lagging so much as a society. People with disabilities need access to their environment. Mary Grace can't even use a public restroom. You can explain over and over, but people just don't understand. We need a universal design, not just for wheelchairs, but it also works for the elderly. People with disabilities work harder than you, but they can't get into the community to show what they've learned. The divorce rate in the U.S. is about 50%. In families with special needs children, it's over 90%. Sheila and Kyle realize that your spouse is the only other person in the world who loves this child the way you do. This is why we're married. We're doing this together. You can't do it alone, and you're not alone. God is with you. Everything is a blessing, especially the people that met since she was born. Mary Grace went through the full prep course for her first Holy Communion. Then Kyle and Sheila began a ministry called the Partnership with Persons with Disabilities to help others become more active in their church community. Mary Grace loves church. She sings in the children's choir, plays the drums and the chimes. The choir director says, she's on fire. She's changed me and has taught me how to approach other people. And many have said they feel the Lord through Mary Grace. Her greatest wish is to be included. She doesn't want people to talk to her like she's a baby, and she doesn't want to be defined by what she can't do. She was a flower girl in each of her three aunt's weddings, and her big dream is to be a secretary, because not having a ceiling is the plan. This little girl is amazing and full of grace. We salute you, Mary Grace, Kyle, and Sheila Schaefer, your real champions. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. What a gift to share this hour with Dr. Wade Schrader, Chief and Director of the Center for Cerebral Palsy at Nemours A.I. DuPont. 
with a program that offers care for children from Delaware, across the United States, and around the world. Wade, we were talking about some of the um, features of cerebral palsy. Let's talk about the treatment goals because you look at the child and all the potential problems and all the potential uh, good developmental uh, processes and the whole family. So let's talk with, in general, the treatment goals for each child. Yeah. So we always, as we mentioned before, the the spectrum of what CP looks like is is really different for so many different kids. And so we kind of categorize them for kids that are walking and those kids that are non-walking uh, that we naturally have some different goals that we kind of, that we set up for those. So, you know, so early on, we're, we're seeing these kids every six to 12 months. We really want to follow them as we grow. And I think that's the best way to take care of children with CP. It's the best way to run a CP center. Because if you see one child with a single snap point snapshot in history or along their trajectory, it's really difficult to get to know the family, to get to know what their hopes and dreams are, and to get to know what they really want out of their child. Obviously, you know, we want everything for all of our children. But, you know, it's amazing how, um, you know, the realities of having a child with differences really do mold you to, to set, for the most part, I think most of our families set very realistic goals. And so we're able to partner with them. So, you know, early on, we for kids that are walking or struggling to walk, we might, uh, we, we'll do lots of different therapies aimed at trying to help them achieve more and more motor trajectories, more goals on those motor trajectories. Uh, it might just be walking better. It might be walking with less aids. Uh, we might give them physical therapy. Uh, sometimes there's some uh, different medicines we might give to try to treat their muscle spasticity. And then, of course, ultimately, as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, we're going we're gonna to offer them some surgery sometimes when they need it. That is, uh, that is the, the way I use this analogy is we're trying to realign their tires on their car so that their car runs more efficiently. So we do the same thing of realigning the child's limbs in a variety of different ways. Sometimes there's some muscle or tendon lengthening. Sometimes we actually have to cut and derotate the bones so that they're better aligned. We have a we have a gait and motion analysis laboratory that uh, uses motion capture. Everybody knows what motion capture is in video games and movies these days. That all started, believe it or not, in healthcare and mm -hmm. trying to plan treatment for children with disabilities. We were one of the first accredited gait labs here at Nemours in the entire country. So we use that gait lab very, very frequently. We use it for all of our kids who are ambulators in order to determine exactly what surgical treatment that we do, that we need to do. And so it's individualized. Everybody talks about this new individualized medicine. Well, we've been doing that a long time uh, within the gait lab. So every kid gets a, a unique gait lab perspective. Pers and that's where your engineer hat comes in. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love it. It's a lot of engineering in there. <laughs> and so I love that. For the kids that, that aren't walking or aren't walking as much, we have a little bit different goals for that. You know, obviously we want to minimize pain. Those kids are a little bit more at risk for chronic pain issues. They can get scoliosis. Their hips can dislocate, actually. They can grow out of the socket, and that can be very painful. It's hard for sometimes them to sit. We, I mean, and if they're still trying to walk, we actually try to do everything we can to minimize them. They often get in a walker or a gait trainer, uh, but we do try to try to – at least mitigate some of those some of those goals to try to tailor them for those for those individual children. Those kids are much much more likely 
to need bigger orthopedic surgery like hip reconstruction where we put the hips back in the socket or a spine fusion for those kids that you know, develop scoliosis. And, and it's been shown really, it's one of the cool things about our research is that across the board, we're talking about whether they're ambulators or whether they're non-ambulators and those kids in wheelchairs getting scoliosis and hip surgery, the treatments that we do improve those kids' quality of life. And, and so that's what it's all about. And, and, you know, it's a little bit different measure depending yeah. on the level of their disability, but, um, you know, and it takes a, uh, you know, it takes a whole village literally from our therapists to, to us, to our medical colleagues, trying to minimize any risk of complications to our fantastic rehab program at DuPont. I definitely have to give that shout out to them down there at Nemours, Delaware for that. Uh, just a great rehab team. Oh, yeah. But I think the message that, that people are hearing is you want to maximize each child's potential, make them as independent as possible to give them quality of life. And good therapy also is aimed at preventing flexion contractures. For You know, you see if somebody has, I remember when I broke my elbow, <laughs> my husband said, you have to go to physical therapy. And I said, I don't care if I walk like Napoleon for the rest of my life. It hurts so much. I'm never going to move it. No, we right. have to, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, lose it or you move well, it or lose it. Yeah. But physical therapy, I would think has and to motion be- is so much part of all of our lives, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, it, and it has to be tailored for the kids. And so when I say motion, when I say motion, I mean, it may be walking, it may be running, or it may be driving your manual, mm -hmm. driving your power wheelchair, right? That still is liberating motion yes. for those families and those children. And so, um, it, you know, and, and some of it is a little bit of trying to help them come to acceptance of who they are as individuals and who they are as a family. Yeah. Um, that that power wheelchair is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful piece of technology. It's a wonderful way for it's those children to enter. Yeah. It's a gift to interact with their environment and with the world. Communication devices mm -hmm. for those children that might have disabilities in that area. Uh, it truly is. It's just a uh, it's such a blessing to be able to help families come up with those individual goals and then watch those kids go and get them. Well, I wanted to mention two things and then move on a little because I want our listeners to hear about your personal experiences. But that physical therapy that is developed during childhood has to also be school-based. And I know there are special schools. I have a dear friend whose granddaughter is in a great school that has helped really bring her to her full potential. And the other thought is, I know you mentioned that we have to pay special attention to high quality therapy during and after surgery. Uh, we could go on for a whole hour about that. But the other things you mentioned motorized yeah. wheelchairs, the, the, the newer uh, voice-activated computers. But as a GI doc, I think these these little children are in the, they're growing. So that's why their bones and their muscles are going to change. But their GI tracts, a lot of them have difficulty swallowing. So they're more likely to aspirate. And then that adds to difficulty eating. So you have to worry, especially the children who aren't weight-bearing, lower bone density. Some have slow stomach emptying and reflux. And they can have severe constipation and you worry about their respiratory status. Some have sleep apnea, skin breakdown. So that's why a place like Nemours, it is A to Z. You care about the, of course, everybody cares about their entire patient, but, but knowing that you have a rhythm at Nemours, I'd love to know, no one knows this disease better than you do. Um, and as a family, your entire, your dear wife, Carol, 
and your three children, your the triplets are Benjamin, Mason, and um, Claire. And then you have a 17-year-old daughter named Kate. Tell us about your mission as a family. It's, it's beautiful right. when you say it. And I leave the floor to you. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we've gone through as a family, lots of kind of highs and lows over the years between my two sons, they've basically had every single orthopedic surgery that we do really from the tip from top of their neck, down to the wrist, down to their feet, their hips, uh, between the two of them, we've experienced it. And so, um, you know, I think, in, in our best days, we warmly embrace our differences and um, and warmly embrace the fact that we're able to use this platform to help so many other families. Um, and, you know, it's not always easy. Sometimes there's hard days where things don't go really well. Our wheelchair accessible van might break down. And, you know, there's those things are really, really hard to come by and they're really, really expensive to, to fix and there's so many of our families that can't afford that. There's lots of things about our society that I think we have so much room to make better. But, uh, you know, definitely everything about, you know, growing and watching my kids grow up with CP has affected all of us. So um, my daughter, Claire, who was the triplet, who was actually the sickest in the NICU, and we thought she might really be have some significant medical issues. Wow. She was fine did not have any type of disabilities, but she's gone on to be a pediatric occupational therapist that specializes in taking care of kids with cerebral palsy. So, you know, so that's this amazing thing. My youngest daughter wants to be a physical therapist. Um, so my, uh, my Benjamin, who is, is our, he lives with us. He has, we have an accessible addition onto our house where he can live fairly independently. He needs aids to help him every day. Um, they come to the house and help with him. He has a job through um, an advocacy program uh, that he helped create for citizens with disabilities in Delaware. And he's the chairman for the governor's council for citizens with disabilities in Delaware. And then my other son is he actually, uh, wow. he is getting his PhD in archeology span and uh, is doing some research on the effects of disability in the ancient world, which is really, really, really cool. And then my wife actually works as the legislative uh, liaison with that uh, uh, Council for Citizens with Disabilities, where she helps our legislators here in Delaware uh, navigate things, all legislation that how it impacts the disabled community. So, yeah, all of us, it's, it's our truly our family mission uh, to try to help other families like ours. And, uh, you know, it's a great privilege. I feel very fortunate to be able to have this job where I can directly impact these kids' lives. And I hope that they all look back in one day and think of think of not only the surgeries that we did, but really think about how we cared for them as a family. Um, we have, um, you know, as you mentioned, we're, we're I'm very proud. The reason why we're here, why we came to Delaware is for me to take over the CP program where we have social workers and psychologists and all kinds of other physicians to try to take care of all aspects of those families. So I, I feel very privileged and very fortunate. Well, I, I hope that our listeners understand. I'm sure they do. You and your wife, Carol, and your four children, you are the, the definition of empathy because 
you love what you do as a scientist, but but more so as a dad. It's just beautiful to hear how you talk about um, your work and your mission and your vocation, and it all comes together. And uh, I'm convinced listening to you, God put you in the right place. And we are so fortunate. Think of all the people whose lives you've touched and uh, just a remarkable, beautiful story, Wade. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back for our wrap up. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Hi, I'm Pete Vernig, Vice President of Clinical Services for Recovery Centers of America and one of your drug and alcohol experts from RCA. Today I'm here to talk to you about the effects of excessive alcohol consumption. Excessive alcohol use can have harmful effects on physical and mental health, as well as social and economic well-being. Physically, it can lead to various health problems, including liver disease, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and neurological disorders. It can also weaken the immune system, making individuals more susceptible to infections and illness. Over time, excessive alcohol use can cause permanent damage to the body, including brain damage, organ failure, and even death. Mentally, it can negatively affect mood and behavior and increase the risk of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. It can also lead to memory loss, impaired judgment, and risky behavior. Excessive alcohol use is also known to cause long-term mental health issues like alcohol-induced psychosis, hallucinations, and delirium tremens. Excessive consumption can strain relationships, lead to job loss or decreased work performance, and negatively impact academic performance. Alcohol misuse can also have a significant financial impact as individuals may spend large amounts on alcohol or face legal fees related to DUIs or other alcohol-related incidents. If you or a loved one needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's R-C-A-R-A-D-I-O-D-R.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. We call this segment Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. We're here with Dr. Wade Schrader. Wade, like many families who have a child with a chronic illness, the entire family has to be considered. Uh, maybe the other children feel like they're getting less attention. And I'm sure that it can be a strain on relationships between spouses. Tell us why. I mean, I'm just so impressed that your cerebral palsy clinic has such a comprehensive program. Tell us about all the facets that you want to emphasize. Yeah, thanks, Marianne. So we're very proud of, of our, our clinic and our program here. It's been the product of a lot of hard work over really 30 years of building this. Uh, 
And, and it's the recognition that that we need to give family centered care. And a lot of people say that uh, these days. And of course, I know a lot of people strive to do that. But I think that is really the culture that we can that we see and hopefully everybody feels when they walk in the doors at our hospital here in Wilmington, Delaware. We have, um, of course, uh, it's family friendly. You know, there's a playground. We have child life. We have all of those things to try to help kids, you know, cope with the different aspects of of having a chronic illness or a disability. But one of the things I'm really, really proud of about our CP program is the fact that we really try to address the psychosocial issues of both the child as well as the family. We have pediatric psychologists that are specializing in the care of children and families with disabilities. We have social workers that are dedicated to our clinic. So they're right there in the clinic with us. So if we identify something that's a particular social work need or a psychological type need, um, we're able to address it right there and hopefully help those families try to figure out in different ways that they can they can cope with whatever it is they're coping. We really put a lot of those resources around the time of surgery, of getting the families ready for surgery, and then making sure that they're ready to take care of all the, the different aspects of taking care of the children after the surgery, including getting them back and forth to the hospital, where are they gonna stay during their hospital stay? What about their rehab stay? What about physical therapy? So all of those things. And then, you know, in the bigger global picture, you, you mentioned some of our research. Uh, I'm also very fortunate to, to be able to, to be a big part of that for us here at, at Nemours. And, and it's such a important field that we do research on, on how our families are adapting to the, the diagnosis of a child with a disability and how we go through that grieving process and how we come back, come out through it stronger and resilient and try to figure out things that we can to give to those families so that they're able to do that even better and then get that word around so that hopefully other hospitals are able to replicate our results here. Mm-hmm. And I know you, you talk about families as well. Um, the, the psychosocial support that they need is different for every family as well. And, and um, I guess people's uh, resources, if somebody comes from out of town, uh, pretty good resources for people that have to stay for an extended period, especially if their child needs surgery. Yeah. So we, we have a special process set up for that. As you mentioned, we take care of kids from all over the country as well as some international uh, patients that come in. So we try to help identify what they need. We try to help them plan as much as possible, how long they're going to be here, you know, whether they need to get local housing, Mm -hmm. we have a Ronald McDonald house right across the, right across the way. So that's a big part of what they're staying of where they're staying. And so we try to identify all of those things. And then and then that big, big hurdle is what are they going to do whenever they get back to where their home is and and they don't have no more is right there in their backyard. And so trying to help them figure out all those things is a huge part. And I think it's a responsibility really for us if they're gonna if they're gonna come from across the country, we've got to figure out a way to to get them back there uh, better off than what they came. Sure. It's our job as providers to anticipate what they don't even dream they're facing. So um, if someone wanted to come to the cerebral palsy clinic, Wade, what number would they call? All right. So they're going to call our, our general number, which is three, mm-hmm. uh, 302-651-4200-4200, or they could go to org. Beautiful. 302-651-4200 to reach Nemours and ask for the Cerebral Palsy Clinic. 
Dr. Wade Schrader, you have lifted so many people's hearts and minds today. Um, God bless you. You are definitely doing God's work. Your family is incredible. And we'll be calling your son, Dr. Schrader, next to you when he gets his PhD. <laughs> so, um, so proud of uh, your family. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Marianne. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen again on odyssey.com. We truly thank our sponsors, Independence Blue Cross, Recovery Centers of America, and Genentech. Friends, every week we hear about people who face adversity and remind us what true courage looks like. Our guest was Dr. Wade Schrader. As both a dad and a doctor, he finds joy in his vocation as a surgeon, working to maximize the independence and quality of life for children with cerebral palsy, including his own sons and every child he treats. And our champion, Sheila Schaefer, outlined her family's story by listing all their blessings. At a time when our world seems to have lost its compass, look for direction from people like this people who are good for goodness sake. And when the news is filled with the noise of negativity, look for these good, wholesome people who remain steadfast and do the best they can every day with grace and humility. Then let each story motivate you to be a more grateful and a kinder person. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 